0: We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right,
1: sell your car the instant way and get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is an absolute legend of AFL, both as a player and as a coach. And we'll go through all of his uh, stats and achievements uh, over the course of the next hour or so. But just quickly, uh, more than 250 games as a player in the VFL, the bulk of those. Uh, In a golden time at the Hawthorne Football Club, along the way, he picked up no less than four premierships. He finished his career uh, with the Brisbane Bears. He's then gone on to carve out an incredibly successful time uh, as an AFL coach, Uh, not just coaching teams to great success, but uh, instilling a new ethos and a new culture uh, at the clubs that he's been uh, invited to coach at along the way. Uh, He is an absolute legend of Tasmania uh, and Tasmanian football as well. So let's uh, meet and hear some of the stories in the inspiring stories uh, of Rodney Rocket-Ede. Hello, Rocket. How are you?
0: Good, thanks, Tim. Thanks very much. Thanks for the intro. It's an absolute
2: pleasure. We've got stacks to get through, uh, Rocket. Can I – where where did the the name Rocket first come along and when did it stick? And who calls you Rocket?
0: Um, (laughs) When I first went to Hawthorne uh, – obviously just been a young lad, only 18 years of age, and uh, a guy called Peter Welsh, who was probably one of the characters at Hawthorne, then going to Richmond, playing the premiership for Richmond in
1: 1980,
0: Um, uh, gave me the name Rocket. And I think at that stage there was a cartoon character, Rod Rocket, but a lot of the Rods, like Rod Laver and Rod Carter and a few others were called Rocket Rod. And uh, um, it stuck, some people say, because... I had some pace, but um, that's where it originated from and then it stuck. I mean, some of the nicknames that uh, some guys have got are uh, you wouldn't want, but <laughs> I, I was very happy with that. And uh, most people do actually call me that, even even females. So yeah. Some, uh, friends and that sort of thing. So, But that's okay. I, I certainly like it.
2: Um, let's go right back to the very beginning. Growing up in, in Tasmania, um, a football-loving state, when did you yeah. first fall in love with the game?
0: Um, my dad was always, uh, heavily involved in footy, um, the the, the Tasmanian Hall of Fame. He's a, he's a member of that as well for he, what he's done football playing and then, uh, coaching amateur teams and then being in administration. Um, so my first real thought was, or memory was actually playing at school. Um, my dad was involved when I was really young, my dad had finished playing young, um, Mm of these and uh it was probably really the first memory i got is 1966 grand final yeah. and i barracked for collingwood because i came from a, a suburb a team called Glenorchy, which was black and whites yeah um collingwood being black and white working class suburb so and i remember i remember that and then making a, a primary school representative side so that's my first memory really um and then um after that, following Glenorchy, my dad's team in the Amateurs University, coached the university students, which was always an eye-opener as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was early days, yeah.
2: And, and am I right in remembering that you were lucky enough to play with Peter Hudson as a youngster in Tassie? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So
0: um, I played, you know, I was school footy then, went to Glenorchy uh, underage. Um, their the culture's was in WI, so they were under-18s, under not under-19s. Yeah. And then the next year when I progressed thinking going to play reserves was uh, Peter's first year as captain coach at mm. so I played. That was 1975, and I played uh, the bulk of that year in the seniors. Fortunately, and we won what was called the state premiership. Um, played, went to Adelaide to play in the premiers uh, carnival. So there was West Perth from mm-hmm. Perth and Norwood and North Melbourne. Um so that was my one and only year of senior footy and hug and played under played under Peter and, and, and still friendly with Peter now. Yeah. So uh, fortunately I, I got his number when I went to Hawthorne the next year.
2: Yeah. What a guy to have uh guiding you at that stage of your career.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's um he, he's a lovely person, uh very humble superstar and yeah. legend. Um yeah. quite tough as a coach though. So it's um he <laughs> used to train us hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they still we've had some reunions and people still bring up about uh, we uh, there's a hill at a uh, place called Claremont, which is where the Cadbridge factory was. And yeah. um, I've looked the river and he found a hill and uh, we called it Spiel Hill. And uh, there's still hot, hot afternoons and run down the hill and up and back up we go. And a few blokes had had big lunches and things like that. So <laughs> uh, th- that always comes up in conversation, but uh, but he he certainly um, he certainly got his fit, he he certainly you know did really well in his, his first year as a coach. And then he came back and played halfway through that year. He was still tied to Hawthorne and played uh probably got a clearance just before the June cut off and yeah. had a really good end of the season himself.
2: Who was tougher then? You or him as a coach?
0: <laughs> oh Peter was tougher. Uh, Train you harder. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. So, um uh no he was but he was good. He he was he was terrific just what we needed uh, at the time, even though I was young. Um the group responded really well to it.
2: Glenorchy, for those who may not have heard of it and think it might sound like a nice single malt whiskey, what happens in Glenorchy, Tasmania? Because that's obviously the place that you left as a as a fairly young man uh, to yes, go and, uh, and head yeah, to the, the lot big smark of, of Melbourne. Of,
0: yeah, a lot of success as a as a football club, uh, which was originally called Newtown, um, but AFL players Daryl Sutton uh, played with Daryl in '75. Trevor Sprigg, who's obviously a East Fremantle yeah. boy, um, yeah. and was at West Coast as chairman selectors. Trevor had coached before. Uh, Peter got the job. He was captain coach, Trevor, for four years. And then Trevor stayed on and played centre-half back, won the medal for the best player in the competition that year in 75. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a working-class suburb. It's now a city, uh, just north of Hobart. Um, but uh, produced some really good players mm. that have played AFL. Um, yeah. Andy Lovell, Adrian Fletcher, Um so those type of players, obviously Darren Creswell as well. Um, so we've had a, yeah. a list of probably another half a dozen or so as well. But um, yeah, so it's uh, had a long history of uh, success. I think they're going through a bit of a battle at the moment. But um, mm. yeah, so yeah, you know, it's a great great place to grow up. Um, it's a great sporting town. So um, uh, very fond memories of the time there.
2: As a proud Tasmanian rocket, are you, are you surprised, disappointed that you don't still have a dedicated Tasmanian team in the comp?
0: Oh, both. Uh, yeah. Both surprised, really. Um, but, you know, from their wisdom went the other way, developing non-football areas, which I can understand to a degree, but uh, really, uh, you no know, you know, Tasmania's been heartland football. So you look at Perth, or Western Australia, South mm. Australia, Victoria and Tasmania have really been heartland. The players that come out of Tasmania per capita, really yeah. are such a small population. And the big four have always Hudson, Hart, Stewart. Um, you know that for Baldock, you know, probably they always say that Daryl's probably the best of them. But um, those four are the big four And Croswell and you've got Matthew Richardson and Lynch. And mm. you know, there's been some great players come out of Tassie. That yeah. it's 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 on the way and you hear stories. You know, that not not a the, the big clubs, as in the statewide comp, but country clubs are you know, folding, and struggling to get numbers, and uh, the juniors are going to other pursuits and whether that be off field as well. So it's a real troubling time. And I, I think I, I'm more not as phased about not having a team in the, uh, in the main league, which I think would be great for Tasmania, but I think that'll help the development and the pathways and yeah. the, and the, all the structure underneath. And I think that's, that's been dismantled a fair bit yeah. uh, because of, Lack of care and interest, I think, from the AFL to a degree, to be honest, and mm. funding. And um, I don't think they've modelled it really well. And I think having a national team or a team in the AFL is not going to fix all ills, but we can capitalise that as a state yeah. and other and pathways, better coaching. and. Yeah give the kids be aspirational. So yeah, they, it. Becomes like, a center of gravity in Tasmania, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they can they can get their own local club to survive and town yeah. as we know, country towns and that survive on their football mm. and netball. And yeah. uh, I think um, I think we can do that better.
2: Let's go back to nineteen seventy five then. Uh, you you're still a teenager, plucked from Tasmania, uh, to go and, and head to Hawthorne. What are your memories of being recruited as a what seventeen year old?
0: Yeah. So yeah, so 75, played in the, uh, the state premiership for Glenorchy. Uh, and then at the end of that, I remember John Kennedy coming and speaking to me in the carnival in Adelaide uh, when we were about to play Norwood. And uh, and I got friendly enough with John in my time, but he's it, quite a scary man and doesn't give much <laughs> away and that booming voice that he's got and there's a bit of intimidation with it. And yeah. uh, said they'd like me to uh, go to Hawthorne next year, which I only or VFL club that spoke to me um, North apparently come and watched me play one day through Daryl Sutton but I didn't play very well so I never spoke to me and uh, so I was thrilled to get invited um, had a bit of a cricket career at that stage had to really making a choice I suppose I was about to go to England and play in the in the leagues over there and uh so I decided to go to Melbourne. I think I'll be back in Hobart within two years. So I went to Hawthorne and played the under-19 cricket carnival. I think it was in Perth that year we played, actually. Yeah, um, right. Went to Perth and played. Uh, so Jeff Marsh was playing. We had Bernie playing, uh, Dirk Wellem and a few others in that uh, that carnival. And then um, that was in the January. Then when I got back two weeks later, I was going to Melbourne for football. Yeah. So um, went to – yeah, There did year 12 there, um, boarded with the family. Had to get a – it today with – Young players, oh, I don't want to be drafted into state. Um, want to stay home with mum. All these sorts of things, and uh, go there. And I had to get a, a bus, and then a, another bus to school from home, and then get a bus to the train station, catch a train to Glenfree Oval. So there was no mm-hmm. one picking you up. And- <laughs> Silver services, uh, young players get today and um, they get looked after really well. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that, you know, going through that. And Hawthorne, I think, were one of the better clubs as far as the welfare issue side and what they make you feel. But I had to do that and get a ride home after training. I remember Brian Cook, who's the CEO, was the CEO of the Eagles and uh, CEO now of Geelong. He um, played at Hawthorne in my first year. So he used to give me a drive home, a ride home in his FC light blue Holden. Um, <laughs> That was at <laughs> the gear stick, and uh, yeah. so I, every time I see Cookie, I, I keep reminding him of our times together. And yeah, um, yeah so it was. Uh, but yeah, I I didn't get a game till round sixteen, I think. Um, and looking back, I mean, they won a we, you know, we won a premiership that yeah. year. Looking back, perhaps lucky I had that drive because looking back, I was probably lucky to to be involved. To you know, mm. you'd think young kids uh, yeah. serve the apprenticeship, and I was probably in a hurry. Um, and fortunately. Uh, they tried a lot of players on a wing. I got game in round 16 and didn't do that well early and then had a good game, I think, about my third game and was able to stay in yeah. um, No, for the premiership. So yeah. um, I didn't do a lot, but uh, I feel very fortunate to be involved in it.
2: But look, you got you had another three goes at uh, tasting that success. Uh, we need to take a break, but we'll get into that right after we hear these uh, announcements. This is Inspiring Stories. Rodney Rocket Eed is our special guest. Back with more in just a moment.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring
2: Stories. AFL legend Rodney Rocket Eid is our special guest. We've just been speaking about uh, your first premiership, one of four that you won with the Hawks uh, rocket in 1976. Uh, 77, uh, no success in that year, but it wasn't long after that that uh, you got another Chance uh, at at winning a grand final, 1978, the second of your four uh, premierships. Um, You're a little older, a little wiser, a few more games under your belt there. What do you remember of that season and that grand final?
0: Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Just go back a year. We played the premiership in 76, John Kennedy coach. You talk about succession plans and you talk about now the Mitchell and Clarkson Mm. things obviously come a bit messy. Um, John Kennedy, I think it was the January... In pre-season, walked up to David Parkin, who was assistant coach, and said, um, "said You're going to be coach." And so <laughs> he resigned, and David took over the reins. mean, um, generally, was a bit shocked. That David tells me the story as well about there was no sort of planning. It's like you know, you're you're lumped with the job. Yeah. With the job, so uh, John resigned, and um, David took the, the reins. And in '77, we're probably unlucky, really, nor mm. deserved to win, but we just lost to Collingwood. In the second semi, it's one Carmen knocked out Tucky behind play, yep. or just in play a bit, and uh, we missed a couple of shots, so we could have won that game and then be into the grand final. And then Collingwood North would play the prelims. So, and then we got belted the next week. We uh, North North slaughtered us. So, it was a bit of a empty feeling. Even though mm. I was young, it was a bit of an empty feeling. You could see the guys were really smarting from that. Mm. We'd lost night seventy five, and now didn't make it in seventy seven, and then seventy eight. Under David was a real focus yeah, we We became mm. pretty focused and we played really good footy, mm. from what I can remember. And uh, um, yeah, as you said, a little bit wiser. Um, I was only 20, but um, still uh, was able to enjoy the occasion, played mm. a bit better, um, played okay. Um, we had the run on, you now we kicked inaccurately, but we. Um, Nights he sort of cut up a bit in the last quarter, got knocked out, I think, but then went forward and kicked a couple of big goals. Um, yeah, so it was a great win. You know, we had a great rivalry with uh, North Melbourne, so that was, we played yeah. North again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an exciting time.
2: Yeah. We haven't got to the part of your career yet, uh, Rocket, you know, your coaching time, but looking back on those incredible years at, at Hawthorne, um, you're obviously starting to absorb... Strategy and all these, you know, teachings about what makes a club so successful. As you reflect on that, who were the people that really had an impact you on you uh, when you were still a player, oh. but from a coaching and, and just club setup level um, that you ultimately yeah, learned so true. much from?
0: Yeah, I, um, I think I was very fortunate to have the three coaches I had. I, yeah. I, I had John for twelve months. Now I have some funny stories about John or like Roland when I anecdotally about. His toughness and like he's a very intelligent man. He'd quote Karl Marx and Shakespeare, and most of it go <laughs> over to over his head. He would know what he was talking about. And, um, but uh, you no, know, he's a white collar worker, but he was a blue singlet coach. It's was all about toughness and yeah. mental toughness and uh, push through the barrier and all those sorts of things. But he was a very intelligent man, so he's intriguing. He was an intriguing individual. Uh, and then David Parkin, who's obviously coached four premierships uh Most self-effacing man I've met. He really is quite humble and criticises himself, I suppose. And he doesn't need to be. He was, he was a great coach and obviously had great success. Coach premiership at Hawthorne and great success at Carlton. Then had Genji, who um, like John and all three really were great or- orators. Um, yeah. John Kennedy's the best speaker I've heard. Yeah, Genji was great to be able to do. It. And David is a is a great speaker. If you hear David publicly speak, is yeah. enormous. So. Yeah. They all scared me in many ways to become a coach. And I <laughs> said to myself, I'm not going to become a coach. So David was the one that introduced what he called in retrospect, but really a review process, give you a lot of written, uh, typed out sheets, a team, and individual, spent a lot of time. His work mm. ethic was enormous. Mm. And I used to throw them away to my great regret. And uh so I didn't want to coach. Um, some players would say, oh, you're a coach. Because I used to think about football a lot and yeah. why and wherefores and why are we doing things and can we do things better? Um, and so when I went to Brisbane, um, I was really thrown into the deep end at the seconds level, which yeah. I didn't want to do. I pushed back because there was ownership problems. Um, Scase had gone and then Chris, uh, then uh, Ruben Pillerman took over. Uh, the coach went. Uh, you got sack, and then Paul Feltham got the sack after six weeks or mm. eight weeks. Then Normie Dare took over, who was the assistant coach. They had no money. They couldn't recruit new players. It was a really tough time. And um, and the reserves were playing in the VFL, AFL reserves competition. Mm-hmm. So he would fly with you. Mate. And he said, oh, I'd like you to coach. I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And then he asked Mark Williams as well, Choco Williams. And um, so we were going to share it. He forced me really into it. And then... The board said, no, only one of you can do it. So Choco dropped out straight away and I'm left with it. And I was still playing senior football. So it's archaic, really, in an elite competition. I was coaching till three-quarter time of the reserves and then go down to prepare for senior <laughs> yeah. football. So that was really, in many ways, forced upon me. Norm sort of yeah. pushed me into that. I didn't really want to do it. But I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um As sliding door moment, that's a sliding door moment. Another one, I got injured with my knee, did a an mCL uh, about around four or five so i had 12 ten weeks off yeah which just i just coached and then when i came back i was technically captain coach i suppose of the So i really enjoyed that yeah. and uh uh played the last game of the seniors as a farewell game if you want to mm. say that out of the western western Oval, and um yeah so i was sort of tipped in the deep end in many ways yeah. and really loved it but yeah. you talk about people it's i found my first six weeks of coaching i was trying to do what John or David or Alan, what would they would say yeah. this particular? Then I realised you've got to be yourself. So that's one advice I always give coaches: coach to your own personality. Don't try and be something you're not, and don't if you're quiet and you're pensive or you're you're a bit animated and you coach to your coach to what you are, because players want to see um, just honesty, authenticity, suppose, yeah. integrity about that. Yeah, yeah. authenticity. So, um, so I, yeah, I did that, and then it was more educative and thoughts on the game and. Mm. Looking back to even when I went to North Melbourne a few years later with Dennis and then my own, and and then going to the Swans, football tactics and strategy were pretty basic. Yeah. We all did this, every team did the same thing. So I I think the way I was thinking, I got a bit of a jump on a lot. You're prepared to try things and invent things. And we had the flood in Sydney at the time, but there are other different things what you do with tag players, a whole range of different set up and your positions that nothing had been done like that. It was all about, well, you I suppose Barassi and Sheeds were a little bit early, where they'd change a the full-back to full-forward or have a spare man defence, which wasn't done before. So anything new at that stage sort of tended to have an effect. But mm. I must admit, I really enjoyed my time uh, mm. coaching the Brisbane Bears reserves.
2: Yeah, which was your first sort of big foray, in as you mentioned. But um, just before we wrap up your playing time, uh, and, and get stuck into your, your, your coaching. Um, the other grand finals that you were uh, lucky enough to, to play in, um, w- which do you reckon was your, your best? I mean, people talk about, the uh, I think, the 86 where you were um, largely sort of teamed up with with Carlton legend Craig Bradley there and managed to silence him for most of the game. Was that your best grand final you played, do you reckon?
0: That's the best one I've played. Yeah. Um, and probably rewarding because... I got dropped for the 85 grand final. Yep. Um, after getting votes in the media and votes in the best and fairest in the preliminary final. Um, so I was one of the better players in the best six and got dropped. Um, so when players used to kind of whinge at me about getting dropped for a game, I said, I thought myself. That, no, <laughs> Bugger off. Pretty quick. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, a, that was a tough time. Then he got dropped a couple of times during 86. And then lucky enough, I got dropped, I think, just oh, for the first final. Uh against Carlton and Carlton belted Hawthorne. And I think Gingy was a great coach, but he wasn't great tactically and got outsmarted a bit by Robert Wall. So I got in the next week against Fitzroy and did well against Nick Cullin and then uh, on a halfback flank. And then the next week Gingy went play, went one-on-one. He didn't want to get messed up again, uh, what had happened in the second semi. So mm. um, I was up against Craig Bradley and, uh, other players had certain players and no matter where they played you went with them and um yeah i, I and that was certainly my best game yeah. i think i lost to norm smith by a vote and uh so um yeah it was uh yeah it was it, a good it was rewarding to play well in the grand final and help yeah. but it was also rewarding to bounce back from the from the hurdles we'd faced yeah.
2: going from such a successful and prestigious and and well established club like Hawthorne then uh, to the brisbane bears what sort of a culture shock was that for you I know you were sort of getting towards the end of your your playing career, but going from that setup to what was you know a, a pretty new venture at that stage with the Brisbane Bears, yeah. what was it like?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well it's imagine it, it's exactly what you imagine like. And I, you know, you look at the VFL, you look at the age of now what they've done for the Suns and the Giants compared to what they did for the Brisbane Bears. or Yeah. The back in those days was yeah. was horrendous, really. Like there was no change room, so you're it, it changing portables. Um, people running the club didn't know much about footy, if anything. Um, the recruiting was was bad, not so much from the Bears' point of view, uh, from there, from what they did, but the AFL, what they gave for allowances to recruit players. Everyone had to give up two players. Carlton gave up um, Aitken, who was, I think was from, from Perth originally, but mm. he said he was already become a doctor in England. So that he was the one. So there was these circumstances which were really harsh. So, Natsy was was given a real, not a poison chalice because it hadn't started, but a real tough assignment and they mm. won their first two games. It was the year before I went there. I went the second year with Roger Merrick, Scott McIver and Rod Lester-Smith and their first year, they won their first two games, won at Geelong and they, they did a fantastic job but they're always going to run out of puff because yeah. of the of the recruiting and the circumstances and, that, and I think he did a really good job but people like and other people involved wanted success straight away and yeah. weren't. And, and you even find that in April Footy now where people who do know they get emotional about where they're at and where clubs are at and where they should be. And um, so I think Pete was pretty harsh and done by, to be honest. I think he he, he was, uh, you yeah, know, it was a tough job, a tough assignment, and they had no help from head office. Mm. And uh, so that was, uh, that was always tough. It was always better for them when, when they went to. And then Wolsey came in, and that was Norm and then Wolsey. And then uh, Wolsey, um, that was my last year, when I coached the reserves um, and won the flag at, uh, at Waverly when the Eagles played Hawthorne. Um, and uh, P- uh, Rob just by halfway said, oh, we just got to play the kids. So their results went down a little bit, but you could see the plan he put into place was yeah. play the kids, let's draft better. And they drafted after I'd left, you know, Vossi and uh, Chris Scott and Lepich and they went there and then Off they recruited went. well yeah. and, and and they got the finals in '95 I think and they lost the first final to Carlton only by ten points the close anyone got to Carlton and um, so he'd set the club up um, really in a in a good fashion yeah. so and then back to Brisbane which is obviously a bigger town a bigger city and then. Um, uh, yeah, so as they are now, the Brisbane Lions, mm. and now the merger with the Bears and Fitzroy.
2: Just before we go to a, another break, Rocket, um, any memories you can share of uh, encounters with the uh, infamous Christopher Case?
0: No, hardly. No, no, no real, <laughs> um, real. Uh, uh, spoke to Christopher probably twice, and just yeah. a hello, how are you going? That was about it. That's so, about it. Um, no, yeah, hardly saw him, hardly saw him. No postcards from New York later on? on. No, no, nothing like that. There there was a fair bit of money spent in certain areas that we yeah. used to talk about, say, well, we haven't got a gym, we haven't got change rooms, but you fly up the lunches from Melbourne, from Peter Rowland, who's one of the better catering ones in Melbourne, and that was for the President's lunch, that was the food from Melbourne. So it would fly it up. Well, yeah, there was a, was a bit of opulence in the wrong areas, yes. um, I
2: think. yes.
0: But um, yeah, they got their act together and mm-hmm. um, now the Lions, you know, won those three flags and did all that. So um, yeah. you now it's part of the history.
2: Very good. Uh, we need to take a break, Rocket. So we'll get more into your coaching career right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Rodney Ead is our special guest back with more in a moment.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything welcome back to
2: inspiring stories Tim McMillan is my name my special guest in this episode is Rocket Rodney Eade um Rodney you mentioned that you kind of fell into coaching uh, post your playing days uh, at Brisbane you obviously loved it you tasted some success at uh, at reserve level with uh, Brisbane and and then with North Melbourne after that, making the the change uh, up then to, to senior level probably seemed like an inevitability, wouldn't it? You would have been in hot demand at that point of your coaching career.
0: I don't know about hot demand. I uh, went for the Hawthorne job the year before when Knightsie got the job. might have been the year before that. Um, and then uh, was sort of Wayne Shimmerbush, i just seen before that, but had been sacked at North that I was asked to present for that. Now, it's interesting. Dennis Pagan says that he was a rank outsider, but Dennis was the favourite because um, he knew the board members knew him. I was really young and went behind the ears. And he said that I was more of a favourite to him, as in the betting, but it's mm. not the case. I really hadn't prepared any much for it, hadn't thought about senior coaching at that stage. I thought it was still learning. Did a presentation for the board, which I, I, had, I had 10 pages, Dennis had 60, I think. Um, <laughs> so, I was fortunate in many ways because when it was done that Dennis took over in February um, and he said to me once just in passing, he said, you know, if I'd got the job in November, you wouldn't be here. And I said, yeah, I thought that would be the case because you have your own people. So um, Dennis and I worked together okay. I I, I learned a lot. And uh, so I had uh, three seasons under Dennis before I um, was fortunate to land a Sydney job. Yeah. Um, and had been interviewed for Brisbane and for Fitzroy at that stage. Um, and I thought Sydney was the least chance out of those three and mm. ended up ended up landing the Sydney job, which was, uh, in hindsight, was uh, was very fortuitous and uh, you know, I was very pleased I did.
2: Was that, uh, you said, least likely that you thought, but most attractive at the same time?
0: Oh, no, I hadn't thought of lot. I think I'd put in my mind that because I'd been to Brisbane and... Uh, some people there were positive about me, and Fitzroy was had spoken in positive terms as well. So I thought, well, maybe that is a really good chance. Not but you knew they were on their knees, it was always going to be a tough gig if you went to Fitzroy. So, mm. but I thought Brisbane, um, and then the John Northey, John Northy, Robert Walls because Wallsy was finishing that sort of got in train at the last minute. And uh, but Sydney went through a fairly uh, extensive process, had three interviews. um, and um, it's a funny story. My wife and I have been married before, so we had kids, so I blended family. And um, when they are showing us the most, second interview, a third interview, and I went to Sydney, took my wife up. Um, we were at the hotel night, I said, I think I'm going to get this job, which was surprised. surprise. I thought, that, that sort of showing me around too much. I've been, and she said, yeah, she said, you got to promise me I can't come, I can't bring the kids that her kids are a certain age to school. And I said, no, no, she had a few tears in her eyes. And I asked the footy manager, can you just take us to the airport? And he said, Oh, you want to meet Kelvin Templeton? I said, Kelvin wants to meet you. I said, No, no, go home, go home. So I got on the plane and um, he was going to offer me the job. And um, so I, on the plane, oh, I I got tears and she said, You promise, you know, we won't take, I said, I promise you, I promise you, we won't take the job. So I got back to the airport. I said, I'll get the car from long term car park. On the why I got a call from Kelvin and he said, I'd like you to i like to offer you the job. I said, Yeah, no worries. Fine, I'm in. So I got the cargo back and said, darling, um, I've got some bad news for you. You I'll better just sit accept down. the to Sydney Sydney job. So anyway, we, How did um, that go? Was, oh no, she was fine, she
1: was disappointed.
0: So it was just it was just her yeah. to went to get around with family and she had you no know, teenage kids and yeah. so um we worked it through and um for her first three months in Sydney, I don't think I think she cried every day and uh, couldn't get her. then actually when we had to leave Sydney to come back to Melbourne she didn't want to leave she was yeah. she she loved it so yeah. enjoyed the lifestyle and the people so anyway it's funny how things yeah. happen but yeah so um but to answer your question I know I didn't think Sydney was really on the radar I thought I'm going through a process but ended up getting it
2: and stayed there for a while 96 through until uh 2002 Two,
0: yeah, yeah. So, coached then. Actually, stayed another couple of years. I was a family member mm. sick with cancer, so mm-hmm. which was not great for career-wise or employment. Um, so, stayed in Sydney for another couple of years. So, yeah. um, to help help the family member through the through and um, all the family through this illness. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, end of two thousand two, I, I finished the coaching at Sydney,
2: and then uh, from there, of course, uh, to another famous stint uh, at the Western Bulldogs. Um, how did that come about, and and was it an easy decision to uh, to to head back to Melbourne?
0: Um, yes, it was an easy decision. I knew I had to go mm. back to Melbourne, either coaching or for employment. Um, it, was, mm-hmm. it was tough in Sydney at that stage. But uh, I had a, an interview process at Adelaide um, in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I'd get Richmond, and there was another... Oh, Hawthorne was the other one. It's interesting now... Um, people saying Dunstall hasn't refuted it at all. Uh, it's nice of Jason uh, that Clarkson uh, beat in his uh, beat uh, ex Hawthorn people in, in the interview process. I accepted the Bulldogs job before I was interviewed with Hawthorn. I never got interviewed at Hawthorn, so right. uh, technically he didn't beat me. Um, it was the right decision <laughs> to go with. Just to set with, the but, record straight. Um, so uh, Dermot came and saw me in Sydney and said, "Oh, they're going through this process. it will start the end of next week." And I said, "Well." Be honest. The Bulldogs have already spoken to me and had a, a chat on the phone with Jose Romero, who was on the board. Yeah. And I said they sound reasonably positive, just the way I'm reading it. And I said I'm going for an interview on the weekend. And he said, "Oh, can you put them off?" That I said, "No." But I said, "If they tick the boxes that I'm going to ask them about, if and they offer me the job, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to play one off against the other or uh, see if I can get a." A club with supposedly more money or whatever the case may be. So oh, okay, well, we'll fast track. And we'll get the interview on the Monday. So that way, so Dermot had organised this interview on the Monday. Because uh, I think Dunstall was at a CEOs conference of the weekend somewhere. So I think it might have been a Saturday, might have been a Sunday. I think I got interviewed in Melbourne at some office away from anyway. Some, somehow, some media found out about it. Yeah, and
2: they always Robert do. Walls
0: on the interview panel, and there's a couple of Jose and a couple of others, and then at the end of it. They said, oh, will you sit in the other room for a while? I said, "Why? Oh, yeah, okay. And they offered me the job. Mm. So I phoned my manager. He came in and they said to Ricky Nixon that we don't want him to leave the building until he accepts. So <laughs> I accepted and then I had to phone. That's that that's stage, Collingwood had spoke to me about too about um, helping them with some, you know, Mick was coach. Mm. It was not so much helping Mick. It was helping develop other coaches and other things. Um, so I had to phone Eddie. Now I had to phone Dunstall, and Dunstall's phone was engaged or off because he was at a, a meeting at this meeting. Never phoned me back, never returned his call. Never yeah, said right. thanks, and thanks for letting me know. It was yeah. Jason, yeah. Um, so I had to let Hawthorne know. Um, and there's someone else I had to phone and say, No, I'm, I've accepted the bulldogs job. Um, and that's uh what it was. So I accepted on the Sunday, so I didn't even go for an interview with Hawthorne. Uh, at, uh, and then they went through a process, I think, for
2: another two or three weeks before they appointed Alistair. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we'll get into your uh, successes at the Western Bulldogs right after we take another break, uh, Rocket, uh, and I'll get you to reflect on your time there and some of your other um, encounters with the uh, the AFL media as well, which is a whole beast in itself, isn't it? This is Inspiring Stories. Rocket Rodney Eade uh, is my special guest. Back with more right after this.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome
2: back to Inspiring Stories. Rocket Rodney Ede is my special guest in this episode. Uh, Rocket, your time at the Western Bulldogs, you had some really colourful characters there, didn't you? Um, I suppose people might describe your own style of coaching uh, as you know, you're fairly forthright. um Some might say, you know, tough and uncompromising. How did you go managing some of the big personalities that were stars in your side there at the Western Bulldogs?
0: Yeah, well, even Sydney had Tony Lockett and yeah. a few others, Royal well, Derek Kickett. Yeah, I think that persona sometimes is not what was inside the four walls. Uh, certainly during the two hours in the box, even in the box, I wasn't like that in the room. So it, Tends to get blown up a bit, but anyone anyway, would live with that. Um, um, yeah, they, they had relationships with those guys. They, they were fine. I mean, there's always a public relationship you say with Brian Lakesay. Say mm. um, Brian was an extremely good player um, and a very funny guy, which I enjoyed humour. Um, uh, just Brian was a bit frustrating, and he needed a cattle prod every now and then to be <laughs> able to, to be able to play. It was, it's interesting one story about him. Um, he always wanted to come to me and say, "I want to play full forward," and I said, "No, you know what? No, Brian, you got to play full back. Okay, because Brian didn't do what he you asked him. He always did something different. Yeah. That's fine. And um, we we're playing the Eagles one day in Perth, and uh, physio phones me in the morning of the game and said, "Brian's had a back spasm. He can't reckon he can't play." I went, okay, I said, "You tell Brian if he can get himself right, I'll play him full forward." Sure enough, Brian's right. That's
2: a very good He him out full
0: forward. After 10 minutes, put him to full back and progressing the the game at full back. So, so um, he is a, an interesting character, but I really enjoyed coaching yeah. Brian. He was a terrific player. I'm glad he got the premierships at, uh, at Hawthorne. He was a really yeah. good player for them. Um, you now, he won Best and Fairest with us and was All-Australian, the Bulldogs here.
2: Yeah, an absolute champion.
0: But, yeah, Brad Johnson was a star. And I was fortunate when I went there that the five oldest players... Was so professional mm. and terrific human. Chris Grant was a star. Mm-hmm. I Wish I'd had Chris for another three or four years. Um, Luke Darcy, unfortunately, I made him captain and then hurt his knee a couple of times. I think not get a lot of games out of Luke. But such a uh, a strong leader and uh, obviously a great player before I got there. But unfortunately, didn't see the you know he couldn't carry that on with the injuries he had. But very professional. Brad Johnson, a star. Yep. And he became captain after Luke. Um. And just this determination and ability that he had was terrific. Rowan Smith, only had a couple of years, Rowan he retired, but just so professional as well. And Scott West, you know, he's won a lot of best and fairest, but they're all different characters. But they I was very fortunate to have a really young group of those five guys yeah. be able to set standards and uh, uh, set the bar up to what's expected. And they're all, no, no they all went about it different ways. Luke was quite forthright and strong, and uh, Brad was more. Talkative and others just, just do it different ways, but they were fancy. So I was very fortunate to go there. I didn't know a lot about the group when I went there. Uh, they were quite young and uh, uh, I didn't know a lot about it, but they really embraced trying to improve and wanted to get better. And, um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to go. I really enjoyed my time at the Bulldogs probably as much as... In- take the premierships out probably as much as anywhere else. I've
2: yeah. enjoyed my football. Yeah.
0: It was a great club to be involved with and, you uh, no, it's great they're having success at the
2: moment. Yeah, and, of course, uh, you know, some great success uh, while you were there, success that they hadn't really tasted for some time. Um, sorry, we're having to skip through fairly quickly here, Rod. There's so much of your story to cover. Um, you have, uh, I suppose, crossed to the dark side a little bit and had a bit of, a, uh, a bit of time in the media as well sort of post-coaching. How do you see the AFL media? And I ask that because you know the, the elephant in the room. there's obviously that famous clip of you that went viral. That was that was very you know, shall we say, craftily edited. Uh, a famous spray yes. <laughs> uh, directed towards yeah, well, Will, Will Smith because yeah.
0: Will didn't even know about it because yeah. it was in the box, so it's not even a yeah. spray to the player. So that's that's what I'm saying. i say things in the box knowing that. The Players don't know what's happening, so yeah, yeah that was that was poor. Yeah, and I think I know where it's come from. And I think the AFL were poor because it's come out of AFL um media as well. that's yeah. how it's got out. Yeah, and they, they did about it. So, as I said, it said that's over a full game and they put it into a minute and a half. So, um, yeah, that was poor. I think basically the media are okay, they, they do their job, they've got a job to do. Um, I think today where media has changed so much is social media mm. and. So much clickbait, and it's anything to get a headline. And it's uh, there's so many media outlets and so many ways of communicating that someone will say or do something to get, uh,
1: yeah, a headline. Yes, yeah.
0: that's that's, and that's why you know they say, Oh, we you know we don't want to create robots with players and coaches, but that's why you do because you get burnt by the media. absolutely. So, then for yeah. one person will spoil it for everybody, and therefore you don't trust them. So, yeah. uh, but generally, I think the media. Uh, do a good job. Um, you just got to know that that they're just doing their job.
2: Just don't so. trust them. <laughs> no. What's in the future then for you, Rocket? What's what's left on your bucket list uh, still to do in a professional capacity, at least?
0: Uh, now retire. That's my bucket list. I've uh, got a few things going at the moment. Um, had a f- couple of. Uh, nibbles and bites about being involved in AFL clubs. Yeah, so that's always going to be difficult now with the soft cap and now mm. COVID and money mm-hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. There was spent it somewhere else, but um, at the time I I didn't want to do things part time. That was that was okay. I've helped some people along the way, but um, I've got a bit on at the moment. I'm coaching a local team, which is which is fine. I'm director of coaching at Scotch College, one of the private schools here in Melbourne. Yep, um, working for a a charity, not-for-profit organisation called The Fathering Project, which started in Perth, actually. Yeah, which Dr. we know well Robinson. here. Yeah. Yes, Dr. Bruce Robinson. So I uh, started an ambassador and then be able to help them now and, and working for them. So that's, that's, that's really enjoyable. Um, and uh, then doing a couple of other little things as well, some speaking, mm. public speaking, that sort of stuff. So I've got a bit on my plate. but you keep
2: it very looking busy. Looking forward
0: to retirement in the next <laughs> couple
2: of years. Good to hear. Well, look, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for, for sharing uh, your story. There's been so much to get through. So apologies for glossing over some of your other uh, highlights and achievements over the years, but uh, just too many to get through in an hour. But uh, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories, uh, this one uh, with the one and only Rocket Rodney Eade here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.